Hello, everyone. You're listening to Balvard Radio. My name is Matt Weston. Tonight, I'm joined by, uh, a f- I guess I wouldn't say a friend of the site, but a writer of Balvard Blog, uh, Kenneth. If you don't know who Kenneth is, I'm sure you do, but he's been writing for us for, I guess it's been two seasons now, Kenneth, or is this going to be your third season? I think, yeah, two seasons. I uh, started, uh, yeah, two years ago, approaching my third year. I think almost around this time I started. Yeah, so you're you're a veteran season blogger, almost almost past his rookie contract. Oh uh, yeah, just gotta get that MLB bonus. Yeah, uh, just don't hit free agents. Make sure you try not to hit free agency though in baseball. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you don't, you have, I'm sure you've read Kenneth before. He's never been on the podcast though, so if you only consume the website through the podcast, you've never heard one of Kenneth's opinions. And so, uh, get ready because you're in for I don't know if a treat's the right word, but you're in for something. So. For a nutshell, we're going to talk about offensive tackles. Uh, the 2019 NFL Draft, I'm looking at my calendar right now, is the end of April, so April 26th. That Friday is, the, is round one, with it going all the way until Sunday the 28th. And they, I guess they do rounds you know, four through seven and two and three on Saturday. And so the Houston Texans need an offensive tackle. They're probably going to draft an offensive tackle in the first two rounds. And to you know, celebrate uh, this future occasion, Kenneth and I uh, watched all these offensive tackles, and I've been writing about them. Kenneth has wrote about them some, and uh, now we're going to talk about them. So, like, overall, Kenneth, like, in this draft class, what are your thoughts on it? Do you like the talent available? Do you like this tackle class? And uh, do you see it as a position of strength in the draft class? Yeah, I think generally this is a solid draft class. Um, I think it definitely tails off after the third round. I mean, obviously you'll have your first-round gems and your second and third round people who should be able to have like unique talents and can plug and play. But I think that there's just a real strong 10 to 12. And then there's really nothing else. Um, And uh, there's definitely some players who have stood out and there's definitely some players from some smaller colleges like Titus Howard. I think he's some that we can always look out for, but yeah, I think it's a unique group. Uh, Not, and we're probably going to delve into this. Like there's just no run blocking skills Mm -hmm. whatsoever this entire class yeah i think that's been kind of typical now too whenever you watch offensive tackles like last year i've watched them all and i was i didn't write in, as in depth as i as i was thought i was going to because I, I left on vacation right before the draft but like the reason why i like martinez Rankin so much last year was that he could pass block and he could run block and literally everybody else couldn't do it like colton miller of oakland he couldn't pass and run block mike mcglinchey who was drafted early by san francisco I could kind of do it, but he was mainly a pass protector. And, like, constantly just kind of nauseating to watch, like, the same offensive tackles yeah. and just be like, oh, yeah, he just kind of gets in the way and pass protection does nothing in the run game. I definitely think that Colt Miller, though, in particular, has a lot of more skills. I think that he definitely – I mean, Martinez will definitely need to get in the, the playbook and definitely get in the weight room. But I think Colt Miller might have some more talent long-term. But, uh, I mean, this is, a, this is the biggest couple months for Martinez – to get better for this line. Yeah, yeah. And we had I, we had one listener question at the end that we can get to and talk more about ranking in depth. And, yeah, I could probably write, like, 
uh, a lot of words about Colton Miller and hand usage, the important of it with the offensive line play, because that was kind of like his big thing coming out of college and what he struggled with last year, too, in the pros. Uh, I, I do like this tackle class. I like it for the first four guys. Uh, and then, like, in the second round, you can find probably a starter, but you're going to have to teach him some things. And I think you're in a position where you're, like, you're hoping and praying he gets better at, you know, something that's missing there uh, with it. So I know, like, you're, you ate the tape and, and you're, all your grinding that you're doing. Like, what are you looking for for an offensive tackle? Are you kind of the mindset that this is a pass-first lead I'm looking, or a league? I'm looking for pass protection. The run blocking's nice, but it's more of a compliment. Uh, I definitely am just trying to find somebody who's you know a great pass protector. Right. And then whenever you're looking for pass protection, what are some things you're looking for? Are you looking at like just athletic ability, you know, uh, the kick slide, the hand placement? Uh, what are some things that you're looking for when you watch offensive tackles? Yeah. So the the first thing when you have to watch offensive tackle film, and you've definitely experienced this as well, is that there just isn't good camera footage. Uh, the plays and the 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 screens that you are seeing <laughs> for wide receivers or for the quarterback, and you just see a horizontal view of the line. Um, there was one where I was watching. I was trying to watch Dalton Reisner uh, watching Kansas State, and I was watching the left tackle because I couldn't tell. I couldn't get the number, and this was early before I realized he was a right tackle. Yeah, yeah. And I'm looking at the tables, like, why is this guy not that good? And looks about two thirds of the way through the film, and like I'm looking at the wrong guy. Yeah. So uh, usually when I'm looking through film, I try to see if they can put everything together from like a coordination and a timing perspective. And I think that really matters because if you can't move your feet and move your hands and dip your shoulders at all the same time, then none of it really matters. I and mean, you can bench press 225 20 times, but if you shoot your hands late, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, just making sure that they can put it all together. It doesn't have to look pretty, but if it's just a coordinated effort, it, it makes a lot difference. Um, usually I really like to watch two or three tapes before I make a decision um, and just like kind of casually going through it and then doubling back to make sure that, okay, these plays were important. Like he obviously messed up in this play. Um, and yeah, just kind of like trying to give each player some due diligence, due, due diligence. Yeah. Yeah. That's always kind of like the, the first thing that's hard about it. Like you're mentioning just only having horizontal video and like now on Twitter, I'm seeing all these guys who, you know, have been writing about the draft before and they have behind view. And so I'm not entirely sure how oh. they get it. If they're just like reaching out to coaching staffs to get the behind view or if they know a scout or know, have some sort of inside source, but I'm going to try to reach out online and if Do you, you whoever, the NFL game pass, yeah, I pay for Game Pass. Um, yeah, that's, but that's like, how I get NFL. Yeah, that's how you have to do NFL. In college, they used to have a site that would do the all-22 stuff for college games, but they got I think they were going to go to jail, so they had to cancel it, and you could download stuff off there and hoard it. But I think I'm going to try to see if I can get any behind view for whoever Houston actually drafts for an article. But you kind of get better at it. It's kind of something that you work around. Uh, for tackles, that you can work around the sideline view because they're playing out there on the edge. You just right. kind of lose, like, the pad level, the leverage, the double team placement, and then also the the footwork, especially. And like I know when I'm watching these guys, I kind of I, I make sure to try I make sure to watch three games before I have an opinion. And like you just kind of let it flow over you, and then you pick out patterns that emerge, and you kind of stick with it. And I'm kind of big on like trying to find out what a guy is really good at doing if he's really good, uh, even really good doing something, and then seeing how his weaknesses complement it. 
And if the weaknesses are something that he can't overcome at all with his strengths. And that's kind of like I make sure like I try to figure out like the entire picture and how it all kind of works together. Instead of just being like, like yeah, his, uh, his feet are slow. He can't do anything about it. But maybe his feet are slow because his footwork is bad. Maybe that can be corrected and that sort of thing too. So uh, right. you got to take the whole picture into, into account like you're saying. Do you initially go to the bet the biggest game? Because I hear and I've read that just people just they want to see the Alabama film, and I wrote about that in my uh, one of my articles. I think the Old Miss article for Greg Little. Yeah, yeah. You cannot base it off of just Alabama. Uh, there are so many other games, so many other defensive linemen that you need to see them go up against. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just because all those players are going to be in the NFL doesn't mean that. There isn't value from watching them him actually do really well against not a good team. Yeah, yeah. And what I well, usually what I do is I'll just go to Football Outsiders and just sort defenses by like S and P plus, and then just kind of cross reference and just watch like the three best defenses he's faced, regardless if it's you know Alabama or whoever. Um, and that was one of the, kind of the fun things about watching Jawan Taylor or Jawan Taylor, however as you pronounce it, heard his name actually said out loud. And Two A. J-W-A-A-N. Yeah, so I would guess it's Jawan Taylor, but uh, he went up against Montez Sweat. He went up against Josh Allen. He went up against uh, Brian, Brian Burns. So he went up against, you know, three top 15, top 10 picks, uh, depending on where Burns falls. And, like, seeing him not only – he didn't play against Alabama, but seeing him against three, you know, guys who are going to be out there on Sunday was uh, made it a lot easier to, like, see how replicable his skills are. I think sweat is a lot of people's base uh, for film. Uh, I definitely watched uh, Dalton Reznor when they played uh, sweat and his team. I think that that was really fun for me to watch because that was really outside of uh, Reisner's skill set. And it was, I think it was a good matchup. Yeah. Yeah. I watched that game this fall too. And so before we, we get to Reisner, uh, who's your favorite offensive tackle in this class? Just like off the board number one, or yeah. like who wants you mostly with the Texans? Uh, we'll save the Texans stuff for the for later on. So like number one off the board, we'll just talk about the tackles themselves. So who's your who's your favorite tackle in this class? I just think my favorite tackle has to be Jawan um, Williams. I think he's the no Jonah Williams. So I just combined names. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Jonah has just everything you want. He's going to be an instant plug and play. I don't have to worry about him getting beaten on the outside. I think his coordination and his uh, his kick side is a lot better than what some of the other commentators have to say. Uh, but, I mean, I just don't have to worry about him. Uh, I've been seeing him get mocked to the Texans a little bit more often. I just don't think it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Williams is my uh, favorite offensive tackle, too. And, like, the other thing I like, what I like about Williams is I think he can play both left or right. So let's say... You know, a team like the Bills picked him, and they have Cordy Glenn for two more years, and they can put Jonah Williams at right tackle instead of Ty Nishe, and then he, you know, Nishe could be a swing tackle or whatever, and they can have Jonah play right for a year or two and then move over to left. I think he can play both spots. But, yeah, like he's, technically he's just perfect. Like he has a perfect base. His kick slide is, like, immediate. Like his first two steps are always super quick, and he has great hands, and so he's constantly, you know, punching the chest and, and grabbing on as well too. Um, the only trouble I ever see him get in pass protection is whenever he lunges, whenever he, he punches. Sometimes he lunges with his punch, and defensive ends can knock his punch down and rip around him. But that's like the, really the only negative you ever see from him in pass protection. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the size concerns are going to be there. Um, I think that 
he's, I mean, that's just something he's going to have to learn how to deal with, um, especially, you know, he's going up against a Von Miller, so especially once he goes up against like some of these speed guys where he can't lunge without just losing everything or like just getting the quarterback murdered. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I really like about Jonah is that he maintains blocks longer than probably anyone else in yeah. this draft class. Uh, and I think that's the number one asset for this team, for the Texans. Uh, I just think he can really lock in. He is re- Once he gets in there, you can't let him go. Yeah, and that's a, that's a really good point. Uh, one, not only because of like you know, Jonah's skill set to do that, but also from a Texans perspective, when you have a quarterback like Deshaun Watson, you have to hold on to blocks because of his ability to scramble. Uh, you, exactly. can't, you can't take offensive linemen who shove, who punch and don't grasp, who... I don't maintain and you know control the chest because you know Watson's going to run around circles and you're just allowing these rush these long rushes to have an impact when they shouldn't at all. Yeah, I completely agree. I think he's kind of the standout. It's weird he's just he's not the number one, um, but I think that in mock drafts. But I think when it comes time for the NFL draft, I think that I would not be surprised if he still is the first one off the board. Yeah, and I think what teams may be concerned about too with him is that it seems like he's kind of already maxed out his potential. Like, I think he can get better in the run game. Ceiling, well. yeah. Yeah, like, I, I think in the run game he can get better there mainly because he doesn't engage blocks correctly. Like, his head's at the wrong angle. He's not hitting guys square. I think he can get better at doing that. But, like, athletically, I think he's maxed out. Like, he's so technically sound. I don't think he's become much better of a, a pass blocker at all. Compared to, like, Taylor, where there's some holes in this game, or Dillard, where you could extrapolate and think, like, you can get more out from potentially. Whereas, like, Jonah's, like, a finished product, but he's so good already as a finished product that, you know, like you're saying, he can start right away at, I think, either left or right, and you'd be perfectly okay with it, and uh, he'll be a dependable starter. Is he ever going to be, like, a top-five offensive tackle? I don't think so, but I think he'll be consistently a, 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 a dependable starter for an offensive line out there. Yeah, I mean, I, any incremental progress for this team, and I think that he can would be amazing. I think that he would be just an easy fit in any offense. Um, I, I would be worried. Is I think he is more of a tackle than a guard. Uh, you hear that he might be more of a guard fit. He would be an all-pro guard, but I, just the way he plays and the, the technique that he's developed, why move him out of his position? Yeah, that would be a, a waste of time if you moved him in a guard and – the reason why people say that is because they just look at his combine numbers. You're like, he's six foot four, and they whenever you see six foot four, they think you're a guard. If you see six foot five or six foot six, you're automatically a tackle. His arms are less than thirty four inches. He ran only a, a forty and five point one two. He jumped well, but it's like they're just looking at his height, and it's kind of just an easy you know jump to make by saying that he should play guard. But uh, Jonah's a tackle, pure and pure, and you're you're pretty much uh, limiting his value if you were to move him inside. And I think you're just taking him out of his natural. I mean, there's a reason why he's playing with for Alabama. He's, you know, he learned behind Cam Robinson. He has all the tutelage you need. Um, I just don't think that you mess up something that's working. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that as well too, but I, I really do like Jonah. I think he'll probably get, I mean the, like you're mentioning about the mock drafts too. Um, they're all over the place with these guys. Like you see J you see Juwan Taylor, Going to the Jags a lot. You see Jonah Williams going to the Bills a lot. You see him falling in the 20s sometimes too. Yeah, it's just they're all they're all. And then you see Andre Dillard, you know, usually in the teens as well. And it's kind of like those three guys are just somewhere between like nine and you know seventeen or whatever. 
I think that there's a team in the top 10 that is playing a pure smoke screen um, and is 100% committed to getting Andre Dillard um, and is, it, it could be anyone from Tampa, but I know Tampa needs that linebacker so bad. Uh, there's just some team that is telling everyone we're not drafting an offensive tackle, but they are locked in on Andre Dillard. There's no way he makes it to pass Carolina though. Yeah. And so that's a, that's a good segue. We can start talking about Dillard. I think Dillard's the best pass protector in this class. What do you think? I just don't think there's anyone that has as quick a feet. Uh, he, we're kind of in the same lockstep with between Jonah Williams, Andre Dillard. Uh, I mean, there's a reason why Dillard is flying up draft boards, why he is as high as he will be uh, taken. I do have concerns about when he gets pressured from bigger uh, pass rushers. I think that's just going to be something he'll have to deal with. But he has the frame and he has the ability to anger to make it work. I just think that he needs to get pushed uh, hard in training camp uh, to handle those bigger people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like like you're mentioning, just his feet are so quick. His hands, I think, are always perfect. Um, he's always meeting. He's not meeting the defender at the point of attack, but he's beating them there consistently. And I, like the pass that's so quick, and like the arm extensions there, uh, I do think his like his strength and the in his upper body is good enough too. He doesn't. The question I think with him is. You know, the strength like you're mentioning, I think he's strong enough, but also the run blocking. And it's not that he can't run block, it's that he's never shown he can run block. And so some team is going to have to draft him and teach him how to do it, or you know, maybe they're, they feel confident enough that he, he's able to because you know, Mike Leach up in you know, Spokane, he's not, even it's, it's 19 degrees and snowing, and nobody can complete a pass, and he's still <laughs> running, running you know, horizontal uh, drag routes and, and curls and outs and those sorts of things. Uh, so yeah, nothing he, can make him run the football at all. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Washington State did not push him to run block. They ran away from him. Um, they would pull him sometimes. And although it looks good, it just he doesn't have the, the speed to kind of pull around at the uh, nfl size line. Um, I think that if you take him out of his element, you make him do things that he just isn't good at, you're not going to get the same results. Uh, if, if you... I mean, yeah, he's not a run blocker. Uh, just true and true. He just doesn't know how to push someone off the line of scrimmage. Uh, his film doesn't show that he can get to the second level uh, to take someone and push them back like a linebacker. But, I mean, I think that if you're going to need a pass blocker, he's the easiest solve for anyone in this draft. Yeah. Do you think he can learn how to run block, or do you think it's just always going to become a hole in his game? I mean, I don't think he'll be an elite run blocker. Any, I think he can be serviceable. I think his talent is there. If he can learn how to use his quick feet to drive, that would be an easy conversion for him. But uh, it, it's tough. It's tough to see it. Um, I just don't think he has kind of the nasty that you see at some of the other guys, like a Cody Ford. Yeah. I like. I think he can. I think he has the, the profile to do so. I think he has the quickness. To do so, I just have to see it happen first, and uh, I'm not one to that tries to like you know guess on things. Whatever, I want to make sure I can I see it first, or there's enough like context clues around it. But Dillard, there just is it's just too empty to really know. But I think if you're a team that needs just like a left tackle who can pass protect and just keep pass protecting, and you can you know if he doesn't drive him off the line, the run game, you know whatever, it doesn't matter to you because your team is built a certain way. Uh, that's why oh, yeah. I, I kind of love Dillard in Carolina. Like I think of all my, oh, my same. yeah, like all my perfect like fits for any team 
And tackle, it's Andre Dillard going to Carolina. I think he would just be perfect there. I think he'd be perfect for the Buffalo Bills um, with that offense they're trying to build. I think that he could be a, a, an early draft pick there. Um, I mean, yeah, there's no way he gets past Carolina, no way he gets past the the Vikings. If he's still on the board at 17, which I believe is held by the Browns, I could see the Texans leaping the Vikings to make sure we get that pick. Yeah. If he's available. Yeah. Uh, he, he would do wonders for this offensive line. Yeah. Yeah, I, I – yeah, I really, I really like Dillard just as a, a pure pass protector standpoint, too. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a, a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk more about these offensive tackles that we enjoy. And we're back. So I, I, on my end, there's four tackles I really like in this class, and we'll agree one more time, and I think we can start disagreeing some. The next tackle, like you mentioned. Yeah, give the people something. Yeah, we can uh, we can have some, some disagreeing. It's always good for the soul, you know. But – we Joan Taylor's the third my third favorite tackle. For me it goes Williams, then Dillard, then Joan Taylor. And like Taylor we mentioned before, like he showed it against some of the top pa- pass rushers in this class. Uh he has a he's just like a solid, dependable, like offensive tackle who's just good at everything. And I think the biggest difference between him and Jonah Williams is I think Taylor can get better. He's not as good as Williams is right now, but I think Taylor has like the upside potential to be even better. And since Jacksonville traded Jeremy Parnell this offseason or released him to sign Nick Foles, Parnell doesn't have a job yet. I think I could see Taylor going to you know, Jacksonville for sure, where they'll have him and Cam Robinson on the outside, and they'll be set a, a tackle for a long time to come. The one thing that Taylor struggles with is creating vertical movement in the run game on his own. He's a good double team blocker when the guard strong is able to create movement. He blocks the second level well. He's really good in open space, and uh, he can get beat occasionally by some really great pass rush moves. But like it has to be like an all-world rush to be able to beat Taylor. Uh, like Montez Sweat was able to pick up a sack against him, but like an awesome inside move. And it takes a it takes a Herculean effort to beat him. But yeah, I, I really like Taylor, and I, I don't think he'll make it past Jacksonville at all. Yeah, he has been plugged in for Jacksonville. Lock him in, ride it in. He is ready to go for them. Uh, he's the full package. He's got everything you want. He's got the nasty. He's got the footwork. He's got the coordination. Uh, he knows how to drop that anchor and get low. Uh, he should be really, really good, and I don't want to see him go to Jacksonville at all. I don't want to see uh, Taylor play against JJ Watt. I think that he would. He has a not, He's just a huge dude, uh, six foot five, three hundred twelve pounds. Has crazy long arms. Uh, he, he'll be someone that will be in the league for several, several years. Yeah, I don't have any worries about him i think that his shoulders um he he sometimes forgets to move his feet and he lets his shoulders follow uh greg little does this more than jawan taylor but it's something i kind of see in both of their films uh i mean yeah taylor's gonna be a great asset for who for jacksonville or whoever takes him yeah and i could see buffalo even taking him as well too because buffalo needs like they're trying to do that power run carolina sort of thing so they need guys who are, you know, really good run blockers as well. And uh, just only being able to pass block is going to be enough for Buffalo. And uh, even, like, you know, if he falls to 15, I think the Vikings are going to take an offensive lineman as well too because Kirk Cousins can't play without, you know, at least, like, really good, at least good pass blocking. Um, Out of those three, who do you think falls? Like, who, who would fall the farthest or who has the most potential to not be taken in the top 15? 
I would say Dillard just because of the run game concerns, but I I don't think any I don't think any of the three fall outside the top fifteen though. Oh, you can't give me any dreams. No, there's no dream in here. This is this is cold reality. Uh, so so now that we can disagree because you wrote something about Caleb McGarry, and I love Caleb McGarry. I, he's my fourth tackle that I, I've ranked here, and the reason why I love McGarry so much is that he's by far the best run blocker in this class. Like he can reach the defensive end. He ran an outside zone predominantly in Washington. He can reach the defensive end on his own. He can make power uh, play side double team blocks for the tight end. He could cut off the backside defensive tackle. He can block the second level. Uh, he's really good at creating like vertical movement on the first level. Like some of the backside blocks he made were just like you know vicious. And he's a really good second level blocker too. And I know like there's concerns with the pass game. Mainly, and but like the weird thing about his pass yeah, blocking, yeah, and like the weird thing about it is whenever he's aggressive and gets his hands on the defender right away, he like he shuts them down. There's no pass rush at all. He has such great upper body strength and just such overall uh, body body strength that whenever he gets his hands on a pass rusher, like the block's over. That's it. But it's just against the more traditional, you know, edge rushers, the speed rushes where he has to really kick slide and it's elongated. And the pocket gets one. That's when he has struggle. That's when he has trouble. Uh, his base gets narrow. He's tall. He leans when he punches. The Huskies had a chip and do a lot of things to help him out too. And like the weird thing though about him is that his feet are so good in the run game. He's a they're quick so player. Bad. Yeah, they're, the like, yeah. And like I just don't understand why it doesn't translate to the pass game. And so I think like he's a bad pass. He's not. I, I think he's a, com- a good enough pass blocker to be. You know. With, with, whenever you take that account as run blocking. And I think a team can make him into a good pass blocker too. Like I think like the athletic profile is too good. The feet are too good in the run game for them for him not to be better at it. For me, uh, whenever I watched him in the run game, it looked like Washington was setting him up to be as successful as possible, which is a great concept for any offensive line. But he was blocking a ton of linebackers who he had 50 pounds on and like four inches on. I think that he combo blocked his way to success. Uh, I didn't see the killer instinct that I think you're seeing. I don't think I saw the 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 drive. I, I, I like the run. I think he's probably one of the top two running offensive tackles. I'd put Cody Ford at number one. Um, but I could not get past how terrible his footwork was in the pass blocking. Um, he would just be a monster liability for any team. Um, right now, he's being mocked uh, early second. I couldn't see him until late second. Uh, I just He has too much to work on. You would have to put a tight end over him at any pass blocking to move the defense in, defensive end to a wide nine, give him a little bit more space. But even then, he just doesn't have – it's like something happens. You know, He like forgets what he wants to do. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I understand what you're saying in the in your pass protection, where you're you're probably gonna have to chip, you have to do things to help him out there. But I just I just find it so weird that he isn't better at it because of how good he is and how much like he how, like how good his feet are everywhere else, how good his hands are everywhere else. Uh, it's just like as soon as he's lined up there on the edge, like he just he doesn't know what to do. And how much of that's just like that's how Washington coached him up, or or what, and how well a pro team can you know, develop him. I but like if a pro team can teach him how to pass block adequately, like I think he like I we're I, I wrote I have a bunch of gifts of Caleb McGarry run blocking for tomorrow and you can check that out and 
there's a lot of like drive blocks and a lot of really great double team blocks and like a lot of vertical movement that he creates and doing a lot of things on his own as well too. And he's also a really good pooler. And that's the other yeah, thing. I yeah. did like this game. Yeah, and like that's the other thing I like about him too is that if let's say it doesn't work out right tackle, like he just can't pass protect at all. His pass protection, whenever he gets his hands on like the aggressive sets, it would be perfect as a guard. Like he would be, I think he'd be more than good as a pass in pass protection as a guard. I think he'd be above average pass protector as a guard just because of how good of his hands are. And he's shown like the strength and the ability to move defensive tackles in the run game. So I think even if it if it doesn't work out right tackle, I think you could slide him in a guard and have you know a really good guard at the same time. Do you think that they, these teams would be okay with a six foot seven guard? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, there's six foot seven guards out there that look pretty silly, but there's uh, there's there's guys out there who are that big playing it. You just have to teach them how to get a little bit lower. And you know, McGarry does have really good pad level though at the tackle position, so I think he could do it if he had to. Do you, so for me, I think that he's kind of in the Jonah Williams category where he might be outperforming his athletic ability. Um, I, I don't know. I think you disagreed on that point. I think that he's kind of like tapped out in terms of like how fast or how much how much power he can bring to the table yeah i think he i think he's pretty much well all the way like well built out but i i mean more like technically he can be a better player in pass protection not necessarily that he's gonna get quicker because i think he's more than quick enough it's just like his technical ability to pass block just needs to get better and i think he can like it's there just someone needs to teach him how to do it and yeah I, I think it would be a big project yeah, I, but I think the rub- that's what you get in the draft. That's a point, you know. You know, you're not taking the first. Uh, you have to give him an opportunity to sit and watch someone else do it. Yeah, and I think the run blocking is is so good that uh, it can make up for it. the. And like whenever I think of a really tall guard, I just think of Alex Boone in San Francisco, and he was you know part of that dominant power run blocking line for you know three or four years in San Francisco, and he was great there, even being six foot seven, that sort of thing. Yeah, I, it'll be it'll be a big transition. I think that a team that moves them into guard has to make a big commitment and has to have a bigger hole at guard than they do at tackle. Um, it'll be interesting to see what his career. He's, he'll definitely be a player that I follow just to kind of be a bookend to see. This is a player that has a giant hole, but has very good talent in one aspect, that being the run game. You know, how is that team able to develop him and what he's not good at, or do they actually just make sure he only is put in positions where he can excel at what he's good at. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's kind of funny about the draft too. Cause like you get, you learn more about the draft and I guess more about player development and, and I guess like, you know, being a, a stay at home scout uh, by like, it takes, <laughs> you know, years of seeing how, like how a guy progresses and then you're know, going from there and be like, oh, okay, well this just isn't getting better. And I think for me, like hand placement, you have to watch Xavier Sufio for, you know, four years, never getting better at it. And watching and watching Colton Miller last year too. Like I just think hands are something that I don't get taught that well. But you like you like Dalton Reisner though. And I think Reisner. I see. I think Reisner's just a worse version of McGarry. Like I see the same problems that McGarry has, but McGarry like has better feet. He doesn't lean. He's more than like a big body. Like he's a technical blocker. Whereas I think Reisner's just like a Frankenstein monster who needs to better learn how to play that game itself. I think he got Frankenstein wrong there. I, I really like how he makes his. His decisions. He's very punctual uh, with his foot. With his foot, and I think he is with his footing. I'm interested to see where he lands. He, I, he's definitely going to be a second rounder. I think that a team that takes him the first, you're putting a lot of pressure on him to 
instantly jump into the game. I think that he is a little bit of everything in the turn in the scene, in the sense that he he's really good in the run game. I think that he can hold his own, uh, push defensive linemen off the line of scrimmage. I really, really like his pass game as a right tackle. I think he knows how to use his leverage. He doesn't lunge, uh, and he's he's seen a lot of good talent. So I mean, I think he's someone that I would be okay with taking at any point. Yeah, I I think. Reiser's probably the guy we disagree most on because I wouldn't take Reiser in the second round. I think he's too high. I think, he, like I said, in the run game, like he's just he doesn't hit blocks head on. His head placement's off. He like, he overruns blocks because his, his strides are so long, and uh, and like in pass protection, that he mainly wins just by being really hard to bull rush through. But he's just he's super high. I think he leans too much. He is high. I'll agree. With, I think that's something I'll agree with. He doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't have a good. He doesn't drop those hips. Yeah, and I don't know if it's a like if it's an inflexibility thing. I think part of it too, he's just so much bigger, like in pads than a lot of the defensive linemen he blocks. So I think kind of like by default, he's leaning rather than than uh, sinking his hips down to block a guy that's a lot smaller than him. And he has the strength to overwhelm players. So I think it's worked out for him for that way. But I think there's just like I think he's just he's monstrous. I think there's a lot of things that you can do with him. I just think he's a bigger project. Like I I called him you know the shed in the backyard. I'm more than offensive lineman at this point, though. I think he's someone that the you will definitely need to teach. He's raw in a lot of aspects, but I think that he has what I was talking about earlier, the, the coordination and the timing to put things together. Um, I did really like his run game. I think that's something that he can excel at. Uh, I don't think he's <laughs> the Frankenstein that you think it is. It'll be interesting to see what his career as well turns out. Um because he easily could be a guard. Um, he has the build for a guard. He has the nasty. Um, he does play really high, and, and if he would move inside, then you would have to. He would have to uh, change his leverage points. But um, I think that's someone that I would be very okay with. Okay. Yeah, we'll have to try to think of some sort of you know bet or stipulation we can make. Like Reiser has to make. You has to start for X amount or start X number of games or something like that. Uh, and to see how this ends up playing out in like the next year over the course of his rookie contract. But because I don't want to take a project unless he's a super freak. And even that's usually just like a pass rush you want to bet, I guess, kind of higher on whenever it comes to athletic profile. But I don't want to take an offensive lineman who I think I have to teach as much as you have to teach uh, Reisner to be good. So I wouldn't take him probably until, you know, the third round or so where there's just so many tackles that you're like, if, yeah, I wouldn't say Reisner until the third round. I think I'd put lump, I lump him in with like, Guys like Yanni Kajusti, uh, Little, uh, those sorts of guys who are like, if you, depending on your attitude and your mood and how the sun's shining, I think can sway like which one you like the most or whatever. But I think there's just so much that you have to do with Reisner to you turn him into an offensive lineman that I wouldn't select him until the third round at least. He's the, probably one of the most love or hate players in this entire tackle pool. Um, I mean, you see some people putting him in the, mid first round you see some people putting him like the fourth or fifth round just saying he does not have it um but it'll i think he'll be taken at that like 45 50 range i think that's a good spot for him um i have him well above yanni kajusti i think that's he's one of my least favorite tackles in the draft yeah Uh, i think that i mean he's behind like cody ford um I would probably put him at like five six in the tackle board, but uh, I mean that that's up to interpretation. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you mentioned Kenjusti. We can talk about him real quick. What 
why I like Kajusti is I think he'd be perfect in Seattle. He just seems kind of like a like just a perfect offensive tackle for Seattle. Where like he's big and he's strong and like he has issues, but you know, Russell Wilson makes up for all the pass protection problems. But like with him, like the feet are good, the kick oh, slides good. I, I think he has some of the worst feet I in this like, draft. I think he moves quick, and I like his base as well. And I think his biggest problem is that he's not like football strong out on the field. Like his, he doesn't get enough power with his punch, and then he shows up to the combine and benches you know, 225, 34 times, and like doesn't do anything else and goes home. Ooh. And so I, I think like his biggest issue is his strength, and it, he has the strength that just isn't clicking there football wise. And so that's why I like a juicy where like he has it, he just isn't showing it uh, on the field. And so that's why like I get, I could see like a third round pick being used for him and uh, being okay with it. I have him more in the fourth round. Um, I think his shoulder lean is one of the worst in the draft. Uh, I don't think he knows how to use his hands. Um, I've watched several films. I think the Texas film was something that I watched a lot. Being from a being a Longhorn alumni, yeah, it was interesting to watch. But he just doesn't. I don't think he knows what he's doing at times. Um, he'll watch players. He, uh, I think, the blitzes are his biggest weakness. And I think for a team like Seattle where, um, you know, Russell Wilson's going to hold the ball kind of like Deshaun will, he does not maintain blocks. Um, I would not – I wouldn't take him to the fourth. I think he's probably the biggest project. And he's also had some injuries, hasn't he? Yeah, he missed his, he missed his first two years because of knee injuries. He had quad surgery recently as well too. Yeah, just I think he'd be a big liability. Yeah, and I agree with you. Like he does dip his shoulders too much. He dips his head too much. He leans too much. But like he's shown the ability to that he's he's shown that he's super strong. It's just teaching him how to be strong in the football field. And so, be, yeah, and like and he's also really wide too. He kind of reminds me of Dwayne Brown that way, where he's just like hard to get around. And so, like I think. Like just because of the difference in the tangible, you know, measurable, the tangible things that you can measure and what you see, and like I think there's something that can be tapped there. But again, it's like in the third round, you're taking, you're just buying scratch off tickets, and I think he's right. warranting one just because of you know, the the disparity in those two components. I compare him to Jason Peters a lot. I think they have very similar uh, pass protections. I think that they use their hands in similar ways. Um, I, I think Peters obviously is a lot more developed and uh, a lot more tenacious at the point of attack. But I, I just couldn't be okay putting him on the, the line, putting Yanni against, I feel like a, like a Brad, Bradley Chubb would r- just go right through him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think for sure he would be turning and running against him. And I think it's like that for uh, kind of all these guys too. So I know you you brought up Cody Ford. I, it sounds like you really like him. So make the make the case for Cody Ford in like the early second round, maybe even the first round, and also explain why you think he's a better run blocker than McGarry too. So Cody Ford's going in the first round. Um, I don't think I think he will probably go eighteen to the Vikings. I think that's a really good uh, fit for them for their internal run game uh, that which they're still trying to figure out as well. But I, I really like what he, his tape shows. Uh, the main question that people have is that that offensive line was excellent. Um, you'll see three people from the offensive line get drafted this year, and the other two guys are destined to get drafted. So if everyone on that line was excellent and they weren't facing any talented pass rushers in the Big 12, 
were they all really good or did they just know how to play together in the system that Oklahoma has, which is a great offensive system? Uh, I think that uh, it's a tough call. Um, I mean, I love his base. He's a huge man. Um, he would fit really well because I could, you could put him at tackle if he needs to move uh, to keep him at tackle. Um, he's big enough to play guard. Uh, the, the versatility is there. I don't think he would make it to the second round. I just don't think he would even get past the Packers for some time. Hmm. Yeah. I, uh, so like with Ford, I think he's like, you're saying like, he's really big. He's wide. I think he won a lot at Oklahoma by, you know, having a good kick slide and getting in the way. But you, yeah, as you mentioned before, you know, you, you mentioned Oklahoma's uh, offense, the ball is out quickly. Kyler Murray can make a lot of things happen on his own and you don't have to block for super long for, you know, whenever you're blocking for Murray in that offense. And so I guess there's like, there's some questions on my end just with his ability to hold longer blocks like we discussed also. And then the run game, I think he can generate power. He was able to generate power in the two-point stance. But, uh, like, there's just he, – he didn't create enough movement, one versus one blocks often enough. Uh, he's not he's not very good puller. He's not very good blocking the second level at all either. And I think he's high in the run game. But I think a lot of that has to do with probably playing out of a two-point stance too. I, I think he can be a better run blocker. I think he can be a better pass blocker, too. I think there's a guy with a lot of potential here. But I just don't see, like, the on-field, like, performance often enough to warrant taking him in the first round. I would take him the second round uh, if, you know, even, like, in the early second round. But I wouldn't use a first-round pick on him. I think he's the number one run blocker in this draft class. I don't think that there's anyone else that can really get after them. Uh, what I really identified in his tape is that he finishes plays. Uh, he wants to be the last person in full contact gear when the whistle blows. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you would really like Caleb McGarry then. Cause he tends to do that a lot. <laughs> he, lo- he loves blocking the linebacker off the screen. Uh, it's, yeah, a, it's a trope for him. Crash teams. I mean, this is Mississippi state. I think he played Mississippi state. I'm trying to think of who I, I watched him against Auburn. He did that really good against Auburn. Uh, he did that against Washington State. Had all right defense last year too. I can't remember anymore, but I, I like this. A lot it all blends together. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I like Ford. I just don't like him as much as you do. And I would like him in the second round. I just don't like him in the first round. Uh, if Ford is on the board and to, uh, for the Texans at twenty three, I don't think I would love to see him. I think that he would fit really well. Um, Teaching him how to pull, I think, would just be a matter of teaching him how to put his hand on the ground, um, which for some players, that's a huge learning curve. Yeah. Uh, and if you watch him, his feet were parallel to the line of scrimmage. So teaching him how to like redo kind of everything, but I think there's a lot to build off of. Um, I think he's kind of a Blake, uh, Blake canvas. I think you can really put him into a lot of different positions, and he would be – I think he'll, he's got a lot of potential. Yeah, uh, so I got a free copy of that Sports Info Solutions rookie handbook uh, just by you know, being a, me- a member of the faux media that we are here at you know, Red Blog. And so I have some Cody Ford run blocking numbers that, one, two, you may like, they're kind of contradictory. I don't know how much of it's the offense, but one, he blew 13 rush blocks uh, last season according to this. But on the other end, uh, whenever players ran to his gap, they averaged 7.4 yards an attempt. They averaged 4.4 yards before contact. And they had an estimated points out of 41. I know with McGarry, these numbers were 5.3 yards an attempt. 
like 2.2 yards per con before contact and the EPA of 16. And so like how much of that's the offense, how much of that's forward, uh, it's hard to kind of distinguish the two. But you know, the, the, as the performance, like you know, there's numbers there to back up for being a really good blo pass block or run blocker. I just don't see it off enough whenever you know, I watch the video on him. I think you doing your do, due diligence on Cody Ford. You I mean you also have to look out for that entire offensive line. Uh, you know you, the the offensive scheme puts the the linemen at a position where they just have to move fast. Uh, I mean the ball's out really quickly. Uh, they are forced to run downfield and go block downfield. So there really isn't too many opportunities for them to kind of shine. Uh, but he, I think he'll be a player that will be very impressive for if you put him in the right situation more than probably any other receiver, uh, receiver, uh, lineman. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I like, I like your argument and your reasoning, even if I disagree with the end result, but it's good though. Friendly it's part, debate. Yeah. It's part of the fun this time of year. Uh, That's so, what, this is my favorite time of the year. Um, I mean, you can be, you can make as many opinions as you want. You can be as outlandish and you're not wrong. It just has to be based on like film. Uh, I mean, everyone's got an opinion and it all doesn't matter, which is awesome. Yeah. And that like four years from later happen, and then you can always make some ex excuse for it for why it didn't work out. Uh, so I have one last player specific question for you and then we'll get to some of these listener questions. Uh, how early would you be willing to select Greg Little because I know in a lot of the early mock drafts that came out, Greg Little is going to the Texans in every single one of them uh, that we've regurgitated up on the side. For me, he's he's. I wouldn't pick him until early third. Uh, he he's going to be a pure left tackle in the league, uh, but there's a very very low floor. I think he's got a huge bust of potential. Uh, a five star recruit coming out of high school. He was one of those players that was just kind of a can't miss. Um, he's seen a ton of talent, um, but I just don't think he has that second gear that you have to have in the NFL. Um, I don't. I don't want to touch Greg Little. I say I in our conversations. I said he was a poor man's uh, Isaiah Wynn. Yeah, and I haven't even had a chance to watch Wynn play because I don't watch college football. I just watch the pro game until I kind of try like scrape everything together real fast before the draft happens. Like. It's one of those nightmares where you're in, like, it's the second month of the semester and you realize you didn't go to this class once, and that's kind of the manifestation of this this time of year for me. I think Little's okay. I, I, like, he's a good pass protector, but he's not a good enough run blocker to make up for, like, the pretty good pass protecting. So, I mean, I could see taking him in the second round, and I think you could, I think you could get a guy who, would be a good pass protector for throughout his career, but I think you'd never get the run blocking that makes up. Mm -hmm. That'll make him like a really good player at all. But I think he's fine. I mean, I, I he's worn a second round pick, I believe. How, how much of the Ole Miss film that you liked about like their running game style, where they have like the guard tackle blocked down, and then they have the offside guard tackle pulling around? It just looks like a crazy mess, uh, and it really doesn't give any of them the opportunity to like learn how to run block. It's all about angles. Yeah, I know. Like he, like that was his best block he made was making down blocks whenever they ran their their counter and their, uh, you know, power plays, you know, their toss and pitches and that sort of thing. And like he made he made some all right enough uh, down blocks, but I mean, I just think like at the second level, he's not that great. He doesn't create vertical movement at all on his own, and he doesn't really ever move the first level. And I think that's something that you're like you're kind of looking for, especially for a guy of his size too. 
Yeah, I think that you're, I think he's kind of a finished product. You know what you're going to get with him. I mean, he definitely has a lot to learn, but I, I think if you try to push him to be a run blocker, you're just not going to get much out of him. Um, he would just really he would do that the pivot and turn with his feet where he just gets in the way of the the defensive linemen instead of like pushing them down the field. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think too like he. Had trouble pulling as well whenever they actually asked him. They're like, pulling as a tackle really isn't that important. Teams don't run counter all that much in the pros. But uh, he did have, like, really, really, he was really bad blocking the second level. He could rarely find it. And, uh, you know, like, like you're mentioning, like, he seems like a finished product. Like, he's already six foot five. He already weighs 310 pounds. And, you know, he bench pressed. Uh, he didn't even bench press all last year. He hid from it. So that's a shame. I kind of wish he actually bench pressed. But, he, there, like, there are a lot of questions about his interests and his, his desire to be an NFL yeah. player. Uh, and I think that my favorite thing watching the Greg Little video was how bad Ole Miss's quarterback was. Like, Brown oh. and Metcalf are there, and he's just overthrowing, underthrowing by, like, seven yards. You're like, it, if anybody was decent enough, like, this would be an absurd offense, and they would have won probably nine, nine games or so last year. I mean, he has... So many great wide receivers. Three wide receivers are going to get drafted this year, and he cannot get them the ball. Yeah, uh, I mean, you you put like a Dwayne Haskins in that offense, and they win ten games. Yeah, it was it was hilarious. And the other quarterback I kind of liked watching on this was South Carolina has some like hillbilly quarterback who just loves to throw the ball deep, and he's a pretty accurate deep ball thrower. And so whenever I watched. Uh, now I can't think of his name off the top of my head. But whenever I watched their I left tackle, I, I got it here. I got it here. But whenever I watched their left tackle, uh, it was really fun watching that quarterback just sling the ball deep as much as he did. That Ole Miss Alabama game, what was it called? Like fifty-eight to three. Uh, it was just a. It was a shellacking. It was so bad to watch because after the first two quarters, you know Alabama subbed in their third stringers. Ole Miss is just trying to like get fantasy football points. It was just not good film at that after that point. Yeah. It's that Bill O'Brien thing where you go down by 28 and score garbage time points and your players hurt to make it look worse than it actually was. But Matthew Stafford points. Yeah. Yeah. So Dennis Daly's the South Carolina left tackle. And he was pretty fun to watch too, but I like watching their quarterback more. So we're going to take... put much film in, uh, to him, but I think that's someone that we can definitely learn more about. Yeah, he's worth he's he's pretty fun to watch. Uh, Darren Gray's pretty fun to watch too because he's such like a mismatch of like all these weird different things, and he made absolutely zero sense at all whatsoever. But uh, it's kind of fun seeing something like really weird like that. But we're gonna take one last break, and we come back, we'll answer the listener, reader, viewer questions, whatever it is you want to call. It. All right, and we're back. So the. The first question that we had came from Luke Beggs on the Mass as well, too. He said, would you start any of these left tackles over Davenport straight away? And if so, what does your perspective Texans offensive line look like? Ooh, I like this. Yes. I have yeses. Um, keep going, though. Who's, who are yours? So I would, I mean, I would, I would, that's the reason why I will, if Houston drafts a quarterback, uh, drafts a tackle in the first round, I like to see them take a right tackle because I like Davenport more than Chantrell Henderson. I like Davenport and Khalil, even when you combine the two, more than Chantrell Henderson. Because Henderson hasn't, has never been good in his career, and he hasn't played in three years. And just him being the right tackle, I think, is like the second most glaring hole in this team aside from quarterback. And so because of that, like, I would like to see Houston take a right tackle, whether it's you know, Taylor or they put Jonah Williams at right if he falls that far. Uh, if they take, you know, McGarry in the second round or something like that. That's why I would like a right tackle more. 
But yeah, like I, I think Jonah Williams is better than Davenport. I think Dillard's better than Davenport. I think, uh, and I think those are the two guys that are better than him right now. But like Davenport, you know, like I, it's I'm biased. Like I'm emotionally invested in Davenport, and I think his last last years was last season was kind of ruined for him by that switch in right tackle, and it took him a while to get used to playing left again. He was actually pretty good uh, at left later on in the year whenever he got kind of used to it. The only game that he had that was really bad was the Philadelphia game. Where like those just monsters over there uh, murdered the entire Texans offensive line and Watson. Martinez Rankin looked good in that one game. That was his best film. Yeah, he, he was also Rankin was pretty good at left guard too against Washington. I liked him against Washington as well. But uh, yeah, I'm biased, but I would rather have Houston select a right guard than a left tackle. But I think for sure, like Jonah Williams and Dillard are better than Davenport. But I just think right tackle is a bigger need. I completely agree. Um, I mean, Jonah Williams, Andre Dillard, be very, very happy to put those in those two players in. I have zero connection to Davenport. Um, I think Texans just cut their losses. The investment that they're putting into developing him, I think is costing Deshaun Watson, his life, his lungs, um, the Texans uh, season tickets. I, I think they need to hash out what they want to do on that entire side of the offensive line. Um, if they truly think that Rankins is going to be the player at left guard that they love. Um, I would lo- I would like to see them take, if Cody Ford's still on the board at for in the first round, uh, Cody Ford at right tackle. Um, if you don't like him at tackle, fine, then you put him at guard, and that's still a, uh, an added value comparatively to who we have there. Um, I could also see, I like David Edwards uh, later, later in the draft. I think that's someone that who a lot of people aren't high. I know that that's someone you didn't even rank in your and your top 15. I think, put him at, I think I'm 13th. He's just not strong 13th. enough, you know. Like, and whenever a guy's not strong enough, you just kind of put, like, a black marker through it. And then maybe he gets strong enough one day. Put his butt in the weight room. I think he'll make the, make a difference. Uh, I love Wisconsin offensive linemen. Um, you can always develop them. They have a good foundation. Um, but for this offensive line... I mean, if Dillard is available, if Jonah Williams is available, left tackle. Um, if Cody Ford is available, put him in. Um, and if Dalton Reisner is available, uh, those are the guys I think that could start right now. Yeah, I would. I mean, I don't think I don't like we we talked earlier. Like, I don't think Reisner could start now. I think Ford could start right tackle, and I think you know Williams and Dillard can start left. I think Williams could, Jonah could start right tackle as well too. Uh, but like, I know, like I you know, just going back and charting you know Davenport last year. I think he gave up like 13 sacks last season. He gave up seven of them in his three starts at right tackle because he's not right tackle. They just switched him over that there. Was and, bad. Yeah, that was a bad and, and couple then, games. Yeah, it was an awful situation. They put Rankin at left tackle. Rankin didn't play. T- they have an entire training camp. It was dubious that he should even be playing left tackle uh, in the pros, but I thought he could play right tackle. And they put them in like awful positions, and they were both terrible. And I think that like made everybody think, one, you know, Rankin may not be that good. And two, that Davenport's just like the worst offensive lineman in the world. When Davenport got strong this offseason, uh, he has, like, he, he's a good enough athlete to, you know, deal with speed rushers and that sort of thing. And he gained the strength that he needed to, you know, be uh, a starting offensive tackle. But I think that just switched to right, took him a little while to get used to it again. And it just made people just, like, so upset in those, like, six games where he was just, you know, miserable against Buffalo, against Tennessee. Uh, you know, week two, week two against the, or I guess week three against the Giants as well, and those sorts of things. So I still like Davenport. I still have hope that maybe he can. I think he could, he could start left tackle. I think he's better than Khalil. 
And I still think he's a better he's a, right tackle is a bigger issue than left tackle is because of that. Who who has Sean uh, Henderson paid in this organization to keep him in this team? I don't get it. Why they are so they love him. They want to keep him around. Um, he hasn't played in years. Um, and then Matt Khalil, I just think that was the most random of choices to bring onto this team. Yeah, especially how much they paid him too, because they're paying him like seven half million, and I think they're expecting him Nothing. to be the starting left this... tackle. Um, do you think this is a make or break year for Davenport? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, like, I don't think he, I think he's gonna get the chance to compete, which is what it should be this year entering for him. Uh, but yeah, I think this is I think this is gonna be like make or break, and maybe we'll see him four years later as a swing tackle for the Dallas Cowboys or something like that. And be like, oh yeah, he looked pretty good that game. Ugh. Like like uh, Xavier Suafilo right now. Yeah, and he was you know better in Dallas this year than he was in Houston for like the previous two years or so. And uh, that's also kind of thing too with the Texans' offensive line is the coaching's been bad and. They haven't developed an offensive lineman except for Greg Manx to be a you know a spot starter on the interior, and like the the rule has been whoever comes to Houston's automatically worse, and whoever leaves Houston automatically gets better when it comes to the offensive line. Oh yeah, those Kansas City left uh, left uh, right to, right guards are just killing me right now. Yeah, good old good old Jeff Allen. Jeff Allen, what a great guy. He did so much for this team. <laughs> Probably my least favorite te- one of my least favorite Texans of all time. Him and Tyron Matthew, but uh, so uh, Ed Reed. Ed Reed. Yeah, every is a great one. Every is that was kind of fun because like everybody knew it was so stupid at the time, and we couldn't believe it was happening. And it was kind of nice to see it be bad in the end. Uh, we had a question here from C Nelson forty two. He says, "Where does Martinez Rankin fit in your draft prediction?" He said, "I know Matt is a big fan of him. How about you, Kenneth? Do you see him as a right tackle or left guard? Is he a viable option to start or not?" He is the left guard uh, right now um, that you would put in at your depth chart. Um, Bill O'Brien and this offense loves versatility. I think that for training Rankin, you just need to keep him in one place. Don't move him. Don't see what else he could be good at. Let him learn one thing and only one thing. That's like what you see with quarterbacks, that they change the system on them or they or their offensive coordinator leaves after a year. Give him a playbook. Let him learn everything he needs to learn, and then don't touch him. Um, mm-hmm. Give him what he needs to succeed. Do you like him more than Senio Calamente at left guard? I don't like either of them. I don't like Senio Calamente. Um, I didn't like him on the Saints. I thought he was just kind of slow and did a good job of just getting in the way. Um, Senio Calamente doesn't move the needle for me. Um, I think that if the Texans really want to see a difference, they need to, to start and keep Rankin at that left guard position. Um, I'm not in love with Nick Martin. Um, I would be fine if we traded him and let Greg Mant start and use him as trade bait. I, I just we could do so much with this offensive line, but I feel like we're so stuck with who we have and just the potential of them. But the potential of them maybe developing is keeping this offensive line from being good. Yeah, I, I could see that Martin, you know, especially because he's like a good pass blocking center, but. Pass blocking the center position really is all that difficult. You're just kind of searching and helping, that sort of thing. Right. Um, I would like to see Rankin, depending on what they do in the draft, I'd like to see Rankin come off in the competition for the right tackle spot at first, see how it goes. If they if it doesn't work out, he needs to play left guard. You know, put him there. Because Calamente can't block the second le- level and his hands are bad. And uh, it leads to a lot of quick pass rushes because of it. I think it's like kind of underrated how much how much trouble they had with him last season, too. 
he did not work well with Martin at all. Uh, they did not have any coordination. They were not able to put any combo blocks together. And that was just ob- obvious from the get-go. Uh, and that guard tack, uh, center relationship has to be one of the best. Uh, they need to know how to communicate. They need to know, like, be on the same page, same sentence. And I just don't think that any of these linemen were. Um, that just comes up to consistency, health, and just being able to make all five of those players know what to do at the same play. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point, too. Like, they also switched the run scheme so often, too. Uh, they took them so long to actually start chipping and help their offensive tackles out. They kind of changed their offense like four or five times, too. And it's like sticking with something and figuring something out and having a plan. Uh, I think the Will Fuller injury had a lot to do with that, too. But the next question we have here is from Taped Up Socks. The subject is best offensive line available. So he asked you, Kenneth, if the best available offensive line at 23 is a higher-rated center or guard, shouldn't the Texans take him instead of the lower-rated offensive tackle? They're all expendable. If anyone thinks we can upgrade from, uh, if anyone thinks we can't upgrade from Martin or Calmente, they are sadly mistaken. I completely agree. You need to find the best offensive lineman. That's what the draft is. You find the best talent, and you don't second guess yourself. Um, if you, there is a better player at the guard position in the draft than someone that we currently have, put him in there. Uh, I would rather that be the increase than just not having a successful pe- person come into the team that you just don't, you're not as excited about um, talent over marginal talent is not a conversation. You, you always got to go for the best player. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I don't know. I agree with you too. Like in the second round, if they, uh, like, even, I would, I don't know. I'm still kind of on board that if you know, Taylor isn't there, if uh, Williams isn't there, Dillard isn't there, for them to just take a quarterback, because I think quarterback is as big of a need. I haven't watched any of the guards at all. Let's take Daniel Jones, uh, quarter, uh, cornerback. Yeah. Yeah, or you know, Greedy or DeAndre Baker or you know, Murden or whatever. I didn't watch watch them first, have an opinion on who I exactly I'd like, but uh, I could see that. I don't think it has to be offensive line or bust in the first round, though, because of that. But I, I am interested. I know that everybody likes the Bradbury guy from NC State. I like also, him. Yeah, and they say there's a lot of really good centers in this class as well, too, that even in the third round, there's good centers. And I know there's that big guy at Charlotte who's been you know, probably the best guard, is what all the mock drafts say, too. So it does seem like in the second round or third round, you can always find some interior talent. It seems like it's a good draft for that. Yeah, and I'm, I'm writing an article right now called like, The Nightmare Scenario, where you know all the Byron Murphy, Greedy Williams, DeAndre Baker are all gone, and then you have the top five tackles or, and, or offensive linemen gone. And they're basically stuck with like Rock Yasin to from Temple to yeah. yeah, and then all the next round of offensive linemen. So like Greg Little, uh, you know, you see Max Sharpie go off the board, Titus Howard, uh, Caleb McGarry, I think would still be on the board, but um, and you see Dalton. Then who do they take uh, in the second round if they've lost the second round of the second group of linemen? So it's going to be a really interesting draft. I think the Texans have enough ammunition if they want to make a trade up to get the the first-round offensive lineman of their dreams or if they want to stand pat and just make, just wait for the players to come to them. Yeah, so you, uh, adding to what you just said, so CM54 asks, don't know if this is the right podcast to ask this, which is, this is the right podcast to ask this. This is the podcast. This is the only Texans podcast. But which tackle should Houston target? So let's say... 
Which, yeah, like if you're if you're Brian Gain, who would you be targeting in the first round uh, for the tackle position? Who do you think is the best fit for Houston? Um, it's a player that we actually haven't really mentioned much before. Um, he's already visited Houston, and he went to a small school. His name is Titus Howard. Uh, I think that he has a ton of potential in the second round for the Texans to take. So he could be in the third, just depending on the draft board. Um, but I think that he would be the most likely to be wearing the bow red um, come August. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I need to see more of him to have more of an opinion. Like he looks good, but uh, the sequel film is really good. He's got. He doesn't cross his feet. He knows how to put his hands. Um, he really anchors well. He got some top talent that'll be drafted around 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 the same time he is. Uh, I think that that might be the biggest steal in the draft if the Texans could get him second or maybe third. Yeah. I mean, it would be hilarious if somebody drafts Max Sharping ahead of Tyus Howard because they're both kind of like projects, I think. And uh, Howard just is the better athlete. and He looks like he knows how to play the game better, too. I, I think Max Sharping is, would be great for the AAF. I think he'll be good for, like, Oakland or something. And he'll, they'll never develop him. and He'll just be this, like, big, mean-looking guy. Who was the guy that was uh, drafted in the first round last year? Who was just the nastiest offensive lineman that I don't think ever played? Oh, I'm hurting myself. Uh, I can't remember. I'll have to go back and look. Yeah, I know it's Quentin Nelson, and there's McGlinchey and Colton Miller, and with like the top three offensive linemen selected. Maybe it's about Nelson. I don't know. Hmm. Um. I'm gonna. I have to look. I'll probably remember it like once we close out. Uh. But. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not too high on Sharping. I don't think he has big tools in his toolkit. Uh, I mean, I'd rather them take a player like Reisner around that time. Yeah, I would rather see Reisner than Sharping, but I just I don't like Sharping all that much. Uh, the next question we had here, and we have two more of these left, is from Upper Root Texan. He said, "Would you say the Texans' draft board is more influenced by the title gravity, or did they use the more traditional Plinko method when they drop a disc down pegboard?" Whichever slot falls into determines the, their pick. And uh, he's metaphorically hanging up and listening. <laughs> metaphorically. Well, listen, and I think that the Texans are just going to, they're going to wait. I think that they're not, they're going to let the board come to them. Um, and we have seen them be aggressive. You know, they, they've decided to trade up one pick to get Will Fuller. That was great. Um, I think that there are times where they, I mean, they have the ammunition. I think there are times where they need to trade up. I don't think that this is one of them. Um, if they want to, I think that Whitney Merciless and a second-round pick to jump up into that 12-13 range could be enough. Do you think that that could be like a potential draft combo? Uh, yeah, I could see that. I think they I think they should explore trading Whitney Merciless if they play a 4-3 again last year and try to use Whitney Merciless as a jet edge rusher because it doesn't work at all whatsoever. Yeah, just, and every scratching their head that doesn't know why that we're trying to trade Whitney Merciless. It's because the Texans were basically going into a four down lineman and Whitney is kind of turned into where D'Amico Ryans was, where the defense changed away from his skill set. And I don't think that the Texans either, he only played 50% of the snaps uh, in the playoff game. Uh, the Texans just aren't finding ways to use him as much. Yeah. And he, he's rushing himself off the line of scrimmage too. Uh, I would say, yeah, like the Texans are kind of just a, a turn-based strategy game, not a real-time strategy game where they're just kind of 
going to sit and wait. I can see them trading down before they trade up too. And the last question I have for us tonight, Kenneth, is from Meeks. He asked this last week, but he got the question too late. So here we are now. He said, Grinnell has made some smart defensive secondary pickups, but what's going on with the offense? How many games do you expect Matt Khalil and Sancho Henderson to start? Which is like nightmare scenario right here. Yeah, that that's... We are. We are. I, in the, I wrote. I wrote, uh, your, I wrote your. I wrote your article for you. There's your diverse scenario. Hey, I like it. Um, I think Central Henderson starts three three games this year. Um, there's probably an injury on the offensive line, and he has to sub in. Uh, I I don't think Matt Khalil starts at all. I I hope he doesn't start. Uh, maybe he gets in one game late late in the season. Uh, but there really isn't many positions that I would be comfortable putting him in. You know, he's kind of like your tried and true tackle. Uh, but one year of tape is not, you know, the, the ice cream that I'm looking to eat right now. Yeah. Well, it's just bad for you too. You should be in that anyways. I think I, I could, if Houston doesn't take a tackle in the first two rounds, or if they don't take a left, I don't know. If they don't, if one of the tackles doesn't fall to him, I could definitely see Khalil starting like 12 games this year because they, they, they paid him seven half million dollars and i think they think that he can start i could see i could see i would say he's going to start like 10 and then Sancho henderson's going to start like six maybe and they're not going to have an answer at all for henderson uh if he ends up being bad they're going to probably put in like some third round guy in there and it's going to be bad and i don't know but hopefully that's not what happens though I would rather miss every single episode of Game of Thrones and and everyone spoil it for me than just to watch that happen. Oh yeah, it's a, it would be it's definitely the nightmare scenario, and I'm kind of mad that you know Meek's asked this, but thank you for the question. So that's that's all we have for tonight's show. Uh, thank you for finally coming on the pod, Kenneth. It was a fun one talking about all these offensive tackles. I'm a pleasure. I bet I bet all these people love talking about offensive tackles that they that they already know. Uh, for sure. I think the. Everybody who, all of our subscribers are 4 million listeners. You know, they just let the show sink over them uh, <laughs> while they do all, all their things. But I'm going to start watching, I think, some quarterbacks too. So maybe next week we can do a quarterback show, or if not, maybe the week after that, in the draft or something. But uh, it was a fun show tonight. It was good talking to you. It was good following you on the podcast as well, too. Yeah, it was great to do this. I was very excited, a little nervous at the beginning. Uh, but uh, I hope we got some good content. Um, it'll be interesting that this draft. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen people more excited or more anxious to draft linemen. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like everybody's just starring for them. Uh, but anyways, thank you for listening to Bob Red Radio. Thank you for being on tonight, Kenneth. And my name is Matt Weston. And once again, thank you for listening to Bob Red Radio.